Mark 11, verse 22. Mark 11, 22. Now, before we read this, we, we just got through praying for direction, revelation. And it's so important that we don't approach something as though we know it. Right? There is a real problem. You know, in anything that you've heard a lot, there's a tendency that you, you assume that you know it. Do you suppose there's light in Revelation in Mark 11, 22, 23, 24 that we have not yet seen? Well, what we've seen has changed our life. And if there's more, we ought to desire it and hunger for it. And besides that, it's not just what you've heard. It's not just what you know. It's what you're doing. It's what you're practicing. In Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus made the statement. He said, Jesus answering, said to them, have faith in God. Is that God speaking to us today? Is he telling us, you have faith? In God. And the Lord never never just leaves you with an abstract. He always gives you application. He always shows you how to put things into practice. And the very next thing he tells us after he says have faith in God. For verily I say to you that whosoever shall say. Everybody say say. Unto this mountain be removed, be cast into the sea. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith, everybody say, saith, shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. You would think there's an emphasis on saying in this verse, right? Let's look at it again. How do we have faith in God? The just are to live by faith. The just are to walk by faith. Have faith in God. You know, when people say, well, y'all are just that faith bunch. Absolutely. Amen. We make no apologies for it. If you're not, you're missing the boat. That's right. Because it is absolutely impossible to please God any other way. There is victory no other way. This is the victory that overcomes the whole world and all the problems and stuff in it, even our faith. How do we, though, live the life of faith, walk the walk of faith? The very next thing he says, when he says have faith in God, he says, if you will say. Not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say comes to pass, you will have what you say. Say. I'm stirred up this morning about saying. Hallelujah. Hadn't even got started good and I'm stirred up. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I believe that before this is over with, you're going to be ready to shout and run and jump over confession. Amen. It just doesn't get any better. It just doesn't get any better. And yet, there's a lot of people that scoff and make fun of us about this. 
And it's no wonder because the devil is concerned about it. And he's going to work against this. And people, you know, use derogatory terms. They call us that, name it and frame it, blab it and grab it, confess it, possess it. And they say it disdainfully. And that's something that should be a revelation to us. Why do people despise this? Because that's what it is. And if you study the the Bible concept of despising, you'll find that it goes far beyond just being disgusted with something. In the Bible, to despise something means just simply to fail to appreciate it. If you fail to ignore a thing, is despising it. To make light of it and little of it. To just go, ah, well, you know, that ain't no big deal. That is, according to the Bible, don't take my word for it, study it out yourself, that is despising a thing. And the reason people do this, when we talk about confession, people go, you know, they have associated in their mind that words are insignificant. For us to say, we'll say this and it'll happen. They think that's preposterous. They think that's ludicrous. They think that's like saying hocus pocus. And being, there it is. Abracadabra and kapow. That's the way the world sees what we're talking about. And even many Christians... Even many people in charismatic circles and word and faith circles, you start talking about the confession and go, you know, I I wouldn't say that. And they go, oh, you know, you're just putting me under bondage. (laughs) Well, what's the problem? The problem is not esteeming the significance of words. Is it really true that you can say a thing and believe that it comes to pass and what you said happen in your life? Is that true? Then we ought to be excited about it. People make fun of us. Well, y'all are just Haganites. Well, I'm not ashamed of that either. Hallelujah. I like following success. You know, you need to check things out. People write books and criticize faith and criticize people like Brother Hagin. I want to know who are they? Where did they come from? What have they done? What have they built? Right? You know, anybody can write a book. Anybody can, you know, take a course through the mail and get some initials and, and spend some money and, and make a nice cover. But that don't mean they know anything or have been anywhere or have done anything. Let's talk about fruit. Let's talk about longevity. Let's talk about results decade after decade after decade. And I say, I'm in on that. 
That's where I'm going. But you know, after all, it's said and done. Brother Hagin didn't write Mark eleven twenty three. I know some people think he did. But tell me who said that if you said and wouldn't doubt in your heart but believe that what you said would come to pass, you would have what you said. Who said that? The Lord Jesus Christ. He said it. I guess that makes us Jesusites. And these people need to watch who they're making fun of. What they're making fun of. Amen. But the problem is a despising of the value of words. I don't think, in fact, I wonder how much any of us have come to properly appreciate the role words play in our life and in our existence and in the plan of God. It's glaringly obvious that most Christians, even in faith circles, do not believe that you have what you say because of the way they talk. We've all made mistakes, but I'm telling you, a lot of people, and I'm not talking about somebody that's never heard a message on confession. I'm talking about ministers. They're supposed to preach and teach faith. Just say stuff that'll curl your hair. You just think, I can't believe they said that. And most of the time, you can't say anything about it because they just get aggravated at you. I'm a faith preacher. Well, preaching faith and living by faith is two different things. I mean, you can have faith stickers on your refrigerator and on your bumper. (laughs) And little faith sayings hanging on the wall. That doesn't mean that you're living and operating by faith. I guess, you know, working in healing school for year after year after year, it might have made me a little more sensitive to it because that's the way you begin to detect where people are at, where their faith is at. What to begin to work on is what individuals are saying. And sometimes people can maintain a front if they've been taught for a little while, but the more the pressure comes on, out it's going to come, what they really believe. And that is what is undoing the situation. Everybody say the significance of words. Now, notice he goes on to talk about verse 24. Therefore, I say to you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. This is talking about prayer. And in connection with prayer, he says, you believe you receive. And as Brother Hagin was teaching, this is before you see it, before you feel it. You believe That you receive. But verse 23 is not prayer. I said Mark 11, 23 is not prayer. He's not talking about prayer. And we need to distinguish saying and praying. If you say a thing, you don't have to pray about it. Now, if you pray about something then whatever you say afterwards must be in agreement with what you pray. I know 
Some individuals that I had prayed with and prayed, counseled with them, talked to them, I mean at length, and prayed on my own hours about their situation. And just month after month and year after year, they went on without progressing. And, you know, sometimes at the moment you don't know why or what's really going on. But here's something that will get you through some tough places in life. Always stay on God's side. No matter what, just stay on his side. Don't, don't get against him. Don't get miffed with him. That just means you're confused. And I was sitting at the desk one day, doing, not thinking about this at all, doing some other things, and the Lord spoke to my heart. I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but very distinctly inside me, he said, brought these people to me in their situation, and he said, they are undoing their prayers with their mouth. Man, it just hit me all at once. I hadn't seen it because I knew in talking with them when we would get on the subject of the word and faith, they talked right and I had prayed with them a number of times and they prayed a good prayer. But then he reminded me of times later that they'd call maybe the next day and then they're just talking about the problem, just talking about how bad it is and talking they don't know what they're going to do. Well, see, it does you no good. To pray a wonderful, eloquent, and scripture-based prayer, and then get up and talk unbelief. Your saying has got to be consistent with what you prayed tonight, and tomorrow, and the next day. Amen. Amen. And then if you say a thing, and then this evening go to praying about it, trying to get something done about it, well that means you didn't believe that what you said was coming to pass. You can mess up a good confession with an unbelieving prayer. You can mess up a good prayer with an unbelieving confession. Mark 11.23 is not prayer. He didn't say, whosoever will ask the Lord. Lord, move this mountain. Please, make the mountain leave. Oh God, make the mountain, please, make the mountain go away. In fact, this is the problem. God's not in the mountain business. What I mean by that is obstacles and problems in your life. That's between us and the devil. And so that's also a problem is sometimes people are praying, please God, make the devil stop. Please God, make this go away in my life. Please God. And that's not what he told us to do. He told us. To stand up, use the authority he gave us, use the name of Jesus, us speak to the mountain. To, that's not prayer. That's not talking to the Father about it. That's us speaking against the problem. Amen. Understanding the significance of our words, believing in our words, and the effectiveness of what we say. Did you notice? It did not say... Whoever will say to the mountain, be removed and be thou cast in the sea, not doubt in his heart, but believe that what God said would come to pass. What did it say? What must you believe? Yes, you must believe what God said, but according to this verse, what else must you believe? You must believe what you say. 
You've got to have faith in your own words. That's why you cannot be a liar and be a person of faith. That's why you cannot be one who throws your words around lightly. And you say all kind of things that you don't mean and that you don't believe and be a person of faith. You can't talk junk all day long and then go, all right, now I'm going to really believe what I say. Your heart don't believe it. You know you. You know how you talk. You know, you, you know how you've been acting and living. If we want to, our words to be powerful and life changing, then we have to take them more seriously. And we have to begin to be very selective about what we say. Had the Lord some years ago tell me, give me that phrase. He said, if you'll be more selective about what you say and pray, you'll be more effective. I think sometimes people think, well, I'll just throw out a bunch of confessions and maybe some of them will hit. <laughs> and they, they deal in volume. <laughs> kind of like a scatter barrel, you know, just I'll throw out a bunch of stuff and hope some of it. I'll throw out a bunch of prayers. Maybe God will like one of them. No, no, it, it hurts your faith when you say things and it doesn't come to pass. When you pray things and it doesn't come to pass, you keep doing that and doing that, you'll get where you don't expect it to come to pass. So you're better off being selective. Well, a lot of people are saying a bunch of things, you know, you just, you don't have to jump on it. You check your heart. And some things you might need to ponder for days or for longer. And then you get totally convinced of it in your heart and you, you say it and you'll never back off of it. And it'll come to pass. That'll encourage you. You begin to develop faith. Not only in the word of God. But in your own words. You believe that what you say. Comes to pass. Go with me if you would please. To 2 Corinthians the 4th chapter. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4. Faith has not changed since the book of Genesis. God has not changed. Our covenant has changed. We have a better covenant than them. But faith works exactly the same way it did with Abraham, with David, with Joseph. That's why Hebrews 11 refers to these individuals. Because it's going to work exactly today like it did then. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4.13, we having the same spirit of faith, do we? Do you have the same spirit of faith in you and about you that David had when he faced Goliath? Do you? That was weak. Do you have the same Spirit of faith about you as Abraham when he looked up in the sky and saw all those stars and said, I believe it. Do you? We do. It's not a different Holy Ghost. It's not a different faith. It's the same that we don't have to look back at some of these faith exploits and long and go, isn't that great? Man, I wish I could have faith. that You do. You have the same spirit saying. Same, same spirit of faith. 
as the three Hebrew children that faced the fiery furnace. Same. Same spirit of faith that Daniel had when they lowered him down in the lion's den. I said, I just don't know if I could be that strong. You got the same spirit of faith he had. Same. And how does this work? We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I believed and therefore I have what? I have, I have done some strange things. I've jumped off the building. I, I ran. I, no, I what? I have spoken. Then we having that same spirit of faith, we also believe. And so we what? Therefore we speak. We speak. Go to the book of James, please. James, the first chapter. Believing and speaking. Believing and saying. Now, you know, one way that we can tell whether something is alive and working in our lives or whether it's simply mental assent and agreement is whether we're excited about it or not. When you hear something and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. I've been knowing that. Then it is simply mental agreement. It's not living in you. But when it's real to you and living inside you, you're excited about it. You can't get enough of it. You want to hear more and more and more. Amen. And you're living it and practicing it's producing results in your life. You're excited about it. So you, you don't watch that with yourself, with anybody else. They go, I, I know that. I know that. I had to learn that in healing school when I first started. I remember one individual, I was just getting started, and I, I said, well, they told me their problem. I said, well, you know, the Bible says, by his stripes. I said, yeah, I know, you were healed. <laughs> and then they quoted another verse for me, and I said, well, you know, it, it's true. Himself took your infirmities. They said, yeah, I know, and he bore my sicknesses. He carried my pains. With a long life, he'll satisfy me. I mean, they quoted scriptures I didn't know. Then, I, you know, I'm kind of wondering, well, what do I do next, you know? And they said, you know, I was following Brother Hagin's ministry while your mama was still changing your diaper. <laughs> now, you don't say everything you think. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> but at that moment, I thought, well, if you know so much about it and, and are so hot on it, why are you here with a young whippersnapper like me trying to get help? I'm just saying, it's not, I didn't say that. It's not what you know, it's what you do. It's what, it's what you practice. It's not what you know. But the Lord shared this with me later in praying about this thing. He said, son, he said, if you share somebody in the healing school, they're sharing with you their problems and their symptoms and their difficulties, and you share with them the truth. About me taking everybody's infirmities and sicknesses and carrying their pains and, and by my stripes you were healed. And they are still depressed. That's because they don't believe it. You don't need to find a new scripture. They don't believe this one. I mean, if you're facing needs 
And you hear, my God supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He always calls us to have all sufficiency in all things and abound to every good work. And you're still scared and worried and depressed. You don't believe it. Because when you believe it, even in the midst of difficulties, when you believe it, it makes you happy. It sets you free. You can't help but smile through the pain, through the bills. You get happy in spite of it. Why? That means you believe. You believe it. We don't have to find anything new. There's enough power in 1 Peter 2.24 to heal everybody on the planet in the blink of an eye. And you can tell the believers, they're the happy ones. It's easy. People think, well, we just really don't know if anybody's in faith or not. It's a lot more discernible than you might think. You show me somebody that's full of faith, I'll show you somebody that's got some joy about them. Somebody that's got some peace about them. Every time. It's always that way. Hallelujah. They're the happy ones. They're the glad ones. You know, absolutely one of the worst witnesses is a depressed Christian. It's a terrible witness. It's a contradiction of terminology. Christian, one like Christ, one like the anointed one. Among other things, he was anointed with the oil of gladness and joy above his brethren. Hi, I'm Keith. I'm a Christian. Do you know there's a number of people who are not Christians because they have relatives that are? And they think if being a Christian is being like Uncle Joe, forget it. If I have to become like Aunt Mildred to be a Christian, forget it. Because they're so sour and sad. Mm. Believers are joyful, peaceful, victorious people. Hallelujah. That's us. So when you talk faith, you better smile. Amen. Smile while you talk in faith. James 1, are you there? Hallelujah. James 1, verse 18. Of his own will, he begat us with what? The word, the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to tell folk what he thinks. Quick to share your opinion before somebody butts in. You know, a lot of people practice this verse. 
in reverse. <laughs> it's true. Watch it. I mean, he said, be swift to what? Yeah. Quick to hear. That means anything that's going on, the first thing you do is go. Is that the way most people do? <laughs> no. Uh-uh. Swift to hear. Because you know, you can't make a proper assessment or judgment or decision. You don't know what's going on. First thing you ought to be doing is going. Now what's the facts? Fill me in. What's the truth? Swift to hear. And what? Slow. Would you characterize yourself as slow to talk? Would most of your friends go, they're sure slow about talking. (laughs) And then slow to wrath. Hmm? Slow. That means people can do all kind of stuff. You're not mad yet. Hmm? People say, well, that's a, I guess that's just a weakness of mine. I'm telling you, my daddy was like that. My grandma was like that. Just fly off the handle. I don't mean to be that way, but that's just, that's just the way I am. First of all, that's a lousy confession. <laughs> lousy. Secondly, as a general rule, you'll note this to be true. People do what they can get away with. You see guys that just cannot contain their temper with their 120 pound wife. I mean, they can't help themselves. They get mad. They say all kind of bad things. Even slap and hit and push around. You take that same guy. Put him beside a six foot five. 265 pound or 80 pound football player. And somewhere or another when he gets mad, he can contain himself. Somewhere or another, he finds control to keep from slapping this big guy around. No, you can control yourself if you will. If you will. People do what they can get away with. Sit out loud. Just try it on for size. Say, I am quick to hear. I am slow to speak. And slow to get angry. That's me. He goes on to talk about receiving the engrafted word that's able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. And he talks about being a doer, being a doer. And verse 26, he gives us the primary application of being a doer. Verse 26, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridles not or controls not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is what? Vain. What does vain mean? Useless, worthless. If you don't control your mouth, your religion is vain. Some say, well, I don't, I don't care for religion anyway. No. He goes on to say, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless in their, and widows in their affliction to keep yourself unspotted from the world. 
No, there is a religion according to the tradition of men, which is not good. And then there is true religion. And he said, no matter what you consider yourself to be religious wise, if you don't control your mouth, it's all for nothing. It's vain, useless. Man, that's a powerful statement. That's a strong statement. Is it really true? That going to church is not enough? Hmm? Listening to tapes and reading books and trying to do things, that, that's not, if you, if you do all kind of stuff and you don't control your mouth, your religion is what? Vain? I submit to you that the number one way of being a doer of the word is speaking the word. Consistently in your life. Now if you skip down to the second chapter. He talks about faith without action is dead. See all this is connected. Isn't it? It's broken up in chapter and verse by those that interpret it etc. etc. But this all flows together. And when he says faith without works is dead, faith without works is dead. In chapter 3, he gives us the primary action of faith. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing we will receive the greater condemnation. If For in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word. The same is a perfect man and able also to bridle or control the whole body. As we go over some scriptures, I want us to continually ask ourselves this question. Is this true? You might say, well, certainly it's in the Bible. It's true. No, no. Ask yourself, is this really so? Is it so that no matter what else I do, if I don't control my mouth, my religion is vain? Is that true? Is this true? That if I control my mouth, I can control my whole body. I can control my liver. I can control my kidneys. I can control my feet. I can control my bones, my eyes, my ears. Is it true? He said body, B-O-D-Y. Right? Is it true? Most people don't believe it. But is it true? Am I doing it? Is the next question. If any man offend not in word or in what he or she says, the same is a perfect man. Listen to another translation. He says, we all make many mistakes. The RSV says, if anyone makes no mistakes in what he says, he's a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. The living says if anyone can control his tongue, it proves he has perfect control over himself in every other way. Hallelujah. If you control your mouth, you control your life. Is that true? Do you believe that? Then how watchful we ought to be. Of what comes out of our lips. The 
The number one way of being a doer of the word is speaking the word. The number one action to your faith is speaking the word. But because of people's wrong thinking, it's not seen that way. People don't readily equate saying with doing. To them, it's two different categories. Well, I talk, you know, and we say all kind of stuff, and then you got doing. But when God, even from the beginning in Genesis, when he said something, he did something. Isn't that right? And God said. And what? And there was. When he said, he did. I've had people come to me in healing school before and go, and we're teaching on faith. They say, you know, I see the necessity of acting on my faith. And it's true. Faith without works, faith without corresponding action is dead. Dead faith produces no results. Will not heal your body, will not get your bills paid. Living faith is faith that acts. Faith must be acted upon. And people will come and say, you know what, what do I do? To act my faith. I, I see it. I, you know, it's just like Brother Hagin was saying. You can have money in your pocket and starve to death. You can believe something but not act on it and it won't produce any results. You've got to act. And people have said, you know, what do I do, Brother Keith? I said, number one, begin to say, I'm the healed of the Lord. I call my body whole. I call my body healed. I will not die. I will live. And declare the works of God. And I don't mean once or twice. Numerous times people would look at me and go, well, yeah, yeah, I know that. But how do I act? (laughs) Well, how did God release his faith in creation? Did he say, let there be light. Now, what else do I need to do here? Go with me, please, to Romans, the 10th chapter. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'm stirred up about speaking this morning. Are you? I don't know about you, but this is how I got started. Back in the 70s. Some of the first teaching I heard and, and from Brother Hagin and others as well about believing and confession. And man, I got so stirred up about confession, I made confession lists. Anybody besides me make a confession list? Man, I stuck confessions up on the mirror. I had confessions on the refrigerator. I had confessions in my car. Confessions. I was confessing, and a lot of times every morning I'd go over several confessions. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I am complete in Him. By His stripes I am healed. Why is that not still good? Have we grown beyond that some way? Will you ever grow beyond that? But can you see that there's been a falling away? From these great truths. This is what got us to where we are. Hallelujah. If we forsake it, we will regress. If we will embrace it with a renewed fervor. Hallelujah. 
we can speak the word with more faith now than when we first began. Hallelujah. If we grab a hold of it now and begin to do what we did then, look out. Look out. Things will happen much bigger and much farther and much faster. Hallelujah. Because we've developed. But the devil has worked to deceive. I mean all across the body. To deceive. Into thinking, well, somewhere or another we, we don't need to emphasize that as much anymore. One way you can tell is some of the persecution has subsided a little bit. That's because we hadn't been doing it as much. <laughs> they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer some persecution. And if nobody's saying anything, we ought to do a check. We ought to go, hey, nobody's made fun of me in three weeks. What's wrong? I think some people have begun to leave some things behind in their desire to become more respectable, more accepted in the community, in the area. You do that, you lose your ability to help them. It's your differences that make you useful to them. Hallelujah. You know, when we made the decision to come to Rhema, Phyllis and I, and, and to embrace the teaching of faith and pursue it, I had a number of people that made fun of me and tried to talk me out of it and everything. But I'm telling you what, 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, I'm in position to help them with the very thing that they made fun of me about. Now they're patting me on the back going, boy, you did the right thing. <laughs> if I listened to them, I wouldn't have. Said out loud, I believe in faith. I believe in confession. I'm not ashamed of it. It is the way. Hallelujah. Romans 10, are you there? What other action did God use to bring light into being? And the creation of the planets, the plant life, thing after thing, other than he believed in his heart and he said with his mouth. You'd have to add to the scriptures to say he did something else. Because when he spoke it out, the spirit of God brought it into being. We are to be imitators of God. The scripture said followers of God. As dear children, we're supposed to mimic him. Act just like he does. Do it just like he does. People say, well, you're just trying to act just like Jesus. Yeah. Who are you following? Who are you trying to be like? That is the idea. You're just trying to act like God. That's the Bible. Right? If you're not trying to be like him, who are you trying to be like? How does God operate? God is a faith God. How does he operate and release his faith? He says. He says and it's sufficient. 
I said he says it and it is sufficient. When he says it, it happens. Now, it doesn't always happen instantaneously. In the natural, even when God says it. There's a lot of things God will say something. His patience is incredible. And it's through faith and patience. You inherit the promises. God will say a thing. And centuries will pass. And then it happens. And he was never bothered at all. That it was not going to happen. Then we ought to be able to stand for a few days. Right? Romans 10, look at it, verse 8. Romans 10, 8 says, What saith it? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Paul preached the word of faith. Was Paul a faith preacher? We're in good company. Verse 9, that if you will confess with your what? Mouth. The Lord Jesus. And you shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth. With the mouth. Confession is made unto salvation. Is it true that you release faith out of your heart through the confession of your mouth and you are born again? What other action did you have to do to be born again? Did you have to jump off the church? Did you have to climb a pole? Did you have to roll in the floor? Did you have to run around? What did you have to do to release your faith? Was saying sufficient? You believed it? You said it? And didn't have to do anything else? And it happened? I'm telling you, friend, many, if not most, of the greatest miracles require no other action than saying. And, now I didn't say that's the only action to your faith, but in addition, any other action you might have with your faith must be accompanied by saying. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, how do I act my faith? You know this. Every time, all the time, number one, say. Say, say the word. Say your faith. Say the victory. And if you need to do something else, God will prompt you. Brother Hagin gave his testimony again last night, parts of it. About how as a teenager he was on the bed. They said he had to die. Do you remember that he said he got a hold of the scripture? Mark eleven twenty four. he saw he must believe that he receives his healing before he feels it. And he began to say, what happened first? He heard the word, he believed it, and he began to say, I believe I received my healing. Hallelujah. And it was as he began to say that inside himself, then the Lord says, now you believe you're well. Here's some other action, but what came first? Saying, and with many, many things, saying is the only action. That's required. How we ought to value our words. How we ought to watch what comes out of our mouth. How we ought to esteem 
the words. I'm going to begin this morning. We won't finish it this morning, but I want to just take the time to go over a number of scriptures that talk about the value of our words and the impact of our words. And I want you to follow along in your Bible. Amen. Brother Hagin requested that you bring your Bible to these things and follow along with it and take the time and don't get in a rush. And every one of these, we're going to ask ourselves, is this true? Somebody said, well, it's in the Bible. I know it's true. No, no. Is it real to you that this is true? And number two, am I doing this? Am I operating like this? Go with me back to the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, the sixth chapter, Proverbs, the sixth chapter, and we're just going to take our time, and I'm going to share with you not only these verses, but some other translations of some of these phrases. The Proverbs are Proverbs and writings of wisdom, aren't they? And a big characteristic of wisdom is that it uses knowledge and understanding, applies it toward understanding the outcome of today's actions on tomorrow. Wisdom has to do with the future. A foolish man will just do things today without ever thinking how that's going to affect me this evening or tomorrow. A wise man or woman, before they do it, they'll think, now, if I do this, then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And you, after looking at the results, you may think, well, I don't want to do that. So the wise man is looking ahead. The wise person is thinking ahead and thinking about results, thinking about effects of today's actions on tomorrow. And you'll find that the writing of Proverbs just replete. There's just an abundance of scriptures in here about your mouth and about your tongue and about your words. Why? Because that's one of the most significant things you can do to change tomorrow is change your talking today. In fact, one of the greatest things you can do to enhance your life, increase your life, protect yourself, and thing after thing after thing is simply get a hold of your mouth. Didn't James go on to say that it's like the bridle? It's like the bit and a bridle in the horse's mouth. It's like the rudder on the ship. They didn't have cars in those days. I think if he'd have written it today, he'd have said it's like the steering wheel. Right? Well, if the ship is going south and you want it to go north, what do you do? You could do all kind of things. You could race the engines. You could have everybody jump off on one side and swim. You, you could yell and scream. You can do a lot of things. But if you're smart, what will you do? You will adjust the position of the rudder. The course won't instantaneously change, but it'll begin to change. And over a period of time, no matter, how to, no matter how big the ship is or how rough the sea, it will turn completely around and head the other direction. Our mouth is the rudder of our life. Our mouth is the steering wheel of our life. If we're going the wrong way. People don't realize it, but they're steering it that way. 
Well, I just don't know what's wrong. We're just in a lull. We're in a lull. Things are so tight and bad, I don't know what's wrong. We're just in a lull. We're just in a lull. <laughs> well, we have a low time every time this, this time of the year. <laughs> a slump, that's right. A slump. Well, we always have a slump. How long you been saying that? How long you been having one? Well, that guy told me in healing school one day, he said, my, my tear ducts just don't work right. I don't know what's wrong with them, but they don't work right. In a five-minute conversation, he must have said it 20 times. My tear ducts don't work right. I don't know why. They don't work right. They've been checked out. My eyes are so dry. I'm always having to put visine and stuff in them, but they don't work right. I don't know why. They don't work right. <laughs> and he's totally oblivious. To the fact that what he's saying has got anything in the world to do with it. And so I asked him, I said, how long you been saying that? He said, saying what? <laughs> I said, saying that your tear ducts don't work right. He said, well, I don't know about as long as they hadn't been working right. And he just was clueless. He didn't see any connection. I said, well, this is not helping you. You've been saying this, and they don't work right, and they still don't. Let's say something else. Is it true that your mouth is the rudder, it's the bit, it's the bridle, it's the steering wheel? Can you get a hold of your words and begin to say, we're coming out. We're coming out. Things are getting better. We're coming up. We're getting stronger. My tear ducts work perfect. They work right all the time. Is it true that it will begin to turn your life around? Is it true that you can control your whole body? It's scripture. It's New Testament Bible. Hallelujah. I mean, I've had ministers, full gospel, tape playing, note taking, Bible toting, preachers look at me, you know, after a service and go, well, I, I guess this is just a weakness of mine. I've just always been weak in this area. Why would you say such a thing? Why? Because you don't believe what the Word says about your words. People could not talk like they talk and believe these verses. Can't. And any of us and all of us can make a mistake in what we say, but we ought to be listening. We ought to be watching. And it ought to be just all along the way that we go, hup, hup. No, I don't mean that. I don't believe that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. If you don't catch yourself all along, then you're not growing. You're not making progress. I said yourself. <laughs> Others are not always as receptive to you correcting their confessions. Even if you are trying to help somebody, there's tact, there's wisdom, there's ways you might just say, well, I always say it like this. Or any number of things 
Or just, you know, ask people, is that really going to come to pass? And sometimes people realize what they've said, and either they'll go, oh, you just legalistic. Put me under bondage. I was talking to somebody I know very well just recently the other day, and they said, well, you know, God knows what I mean. Exactly. And he's not happy about what you mean. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth leaketh. It leaks. It comes out. No matter what you may intend. And the problem is people don't want to admit it, but the wrong confession is showing wrong believing. The wrong confession is showing fear and unbelief. Proverbs 6, are you there? We're asking ourselves two questions, right? What are they? Number one, is this really true? Number two, am I doing it? Am I acting on this knowledge? Proverbs 6, verse 2 says, You are snared with the words of your mouth. You are taken with the words of your mouth. The, the Bass translation says, the saying of your lips have overcome you. The first part says, you're taken as in a net by the words of your mouth. Do your words have the power to entrap you? To snare you? To put you in bondage? Do you suppose there are a lot of people that are living in bondage because of their own words? They say that they are bound. I, you know, had a young man sometime back come to me. This has happened in numerous areas. And after a service, he caught me off to the side. He said, Brother Keith, I wanted you to pray for me. I said, what for? He said, well, uh, to be delivered from smoking. He said, man, I have tried. I've done everything I know to do. I've been in meetings you know, he mentioned all these people that had prayed for him and, and cast this out of him and cast this into him and, and all kind of things. And, and he said, and I still come away smoking. He said, I just can't help it. I just, I have to have nicotine. And he said, I, I guess I'm just bound by cigarettes. I don't know. I can't get free. And then that was his catchphrase for the next 15 minutes. I can't get free. I've tried, I've tried, I've prayed, I've fasted, I've called hotlines, I've sent in prayer requests, and I can't get free. And he began to cry. But, you know, after talking about this, it should be glaringly obvious to you what some of the biggest problem is. But see, he didn't see it. I said, this is easily fixed. He looked at me like, really? I like those people who get mad at you if you make light of their problem. I told one lady one time about she was crying up. I said, I said, God can fix this. This is nothing to God. She said, it ain't nothing. It's serious. <laughs> serious. You're not taking my situation seriously. Well, you're taking it seriously enough for all of us. <laughs> Too seriously. You're not taking my problem seriously. You don't need to take your problem seriously as far as giving it the respect and honoring it. We need to exalt God above it. 
put our words on it. We have, we're made in the image of God. And like him, we have within our scope of control and power, the ability to create and the ability to destroy with our words. Like God. I've seen it. There's been a number of times in healing school, we killed cancer. So how'd you do? Command, just like Jesus spoke to the fig tree, command it to die. I've spoken to tumors and growths before. I remember a lady one time had one on her, her wrist, a big old thing like this. And we spoke to that. I saw it right with my eyes just go flat, just like that. Doesn't always happen that fast, but I'm telling you, we're made in the image of God. And like God, we have the power to create and destroy with our words. It's an awesome responsibility. It's an awesome privilege. Are we taking it seriously enough? Most are not. I told the young man, I said, this can be easily fixed. He looked at me unbelievingly. He said, don't, don't ask me to throw them away. I've thrown them away many times. And this had to go back and buy more. Because I guess I just can't get free. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to throw your cigarettes away. He said, so I'm going to keep smoking? I said, not for long. He said, well, what, what? I said, every time you go in and buy a pack or a carton of cigarettes, when you walk out the door, you say, I'm free from cigarettes. I'm free from nicotine. I'm free. He said, when I just bought some, I said, yeah, when you just bought some. I said, when you open a pack and you bump one out the top, you pick it up, you say, thank you, Lord. I'm free from these. He said, when I'm pulling one out? I said, yeah. I said, when you light it up and you take that first drag, you say, thank you, Lord. I'm free from... He said, while I'm smoking? I said, yeah. While you're smoking. And I said, you know, when you take the pack out, every cigarette, every cigarette, in between most puffs, and when you lay that pack on the nightstand at night, you say, thank you, Lord. I am free. He said, I'm going to get free. I said, no, I am free. He said, while I'm still smoking, I said, just say it. Will you say it? He said, okay, yeah. And I, I keep smoking. I said, yeah, just say it. I said, but never again. I want you to treat it like profanity. Treat it like ugly cuss words. Never again say I can't get free. Never again say I'm bound. Never again. Never. Don't let it come out of your mouth. He said, okay, okay. I said, I, don't do it. It wasn't, but just, what was it, a couple of weeks or so. He came through just beaming, shining. He said, guess what? I said, what? He said, I'm free. I'm free. I said, you still, you still smoking? No, I'm free from smoking. I hadn't smoked in days. 
It dawned on him standing on the corner in between puffs when he said it for the, I don't know, hundredth time or whatever. Thank you, Lord. I'm free. I'm, I'm free. I'm free. Power came up in it. Hallelujah. And he put it out and it was his last one. But I had a young minister catch me recently, crying his eyes out after a service. And he said, Brother Keith, he said, I can't help myself. He said, because I was talking about prosperity. And I was talking about the, the fact that pretending that you're prosperous through excessive debt is not prosperity. <laughs> Having a show of it, we want the real thing. And he came up crying. He said, Brother Keith, he said, I've, I've spent all this money on clothes and I just, I can't help myself. I just, every time I see them, I just, I just spend money and I just go in debt. What's his number one problem? He thinks it's lack of self-control. And then, you know, people make the mistake of going to secular and worldly and ungodly oftentimes, psychologists and therapists, and they'll give them names for their stuff. Yeah, then they just confess it. And then they come and tell you, I'm a compulsive this or that. Are you now? Where'd you read that in the New Testament? What scripture is that? I'm a, I'm born again, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus and a compulsive spender, compulsive overeater. Compu- Where did you read any of that? Did Jesus deliver us or did he deliver us? Has he paid the price for all of it or not? The problem is with our mouth. It's close. It's right here. As close as our heart and as close as our mouth. That if we'll believe a thing and we'll say it. And even if you don't believe it, start saying it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by you keep saying it, you'll begin to believe it. Amen. Say, you know, so many times, for instance, Joshua 1, 8. God giving him instructions and us about how to be successful and prosperous in life. What did he say? This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it night and day that you may observe to do according to all that's in it. What did he mention first? Number one, what did he mention first? The mouth. People got it mixed up. They think, well, if I could get my head straightened out and get my thinking straightened out, then I'd be on the right. No, number one is your mouth. You use your mouth to straighten your mind out. You use your mouth to begin to take the steering wheel and turn this thing around. When you don't believe it, when it's not real to you, get a hold of that mouth and start the process. Hallelujah. You say it long enough. It'll begin to get real to you. You'll begin to believe it. Hallelujah. Said out loud, I believe. In the power of faith. I believe. In the power of my words. I believe in God's words. And I believe in my words. I have power. And authority. 
to create and to destroy through faith-filled words. I can mold and shape my tomorrows with my words. I can change my body with my words. I can change my finances with my words. I can change my relationships my whole life with my words. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Let's say it out loud. Let's act on it a little bit. Say it out loud. Things are getting better with me. I'm coming up. I'm moving forward. I am not bound. I'm free. Totally free. In Jesus. I am not oppressed. I am not obsessed. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.